0: Preachers can fall into the rut on preaching on whatever keeps their congregations pleased. If you keep them happy, they'll keep coming back from Sunday to Sunday, or at least that's what we're told. This sermon series has been altogether different. Instead of falling back to the familiar narratives that keep us smiling on our way out of the sanctuary, we have confronted some of the greatest controversies facing the church. There is a better than good chance that I have said something from this pulpit during the series that you don't agree with. But I'm very thankful for the vulnerability and the honesty that has been present in our conversations following worship. We can only grow as Christians in community, and that requires some honesty, humility, and dialogue. Today, we conclude the series with the topic of homosexuality. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. When someone rings the doorbell here at St. John's, you can hear it throughout the entire building. More often than not, our wonderful church secretary will answer the door with a smile on her face and she will direct the person to their particular destination. We regularly have people down on their luck knock on our door looking for a little bit of financial help. Sometimes we have people in the midst of a crisis who want to speak with a pastor. And every once in a while... We have someone who is just interested in learning more about our church. A couple months ago, I was sitting in my office working diligently when the doorbell rang. I listened for the echoes down the hallway to discern what kind of those three interactions I was about to have when the secretary called my office line and she said, Someone needs to talk to you. The visitor was an older woman, recently to Stanton, she was dressed to the nines with a small gold cross hanging around her neck. When she offered her hand to introduce herself, she had a subtle grandmotherly smell about her that immediately elicited visions of old books with tattered dust covers, prescription pill dispensers marked Sunday through Saturday, and Vic's vapor rub. She said, I'm a United Methodist. I said, how strange, so am I. She said, I'm new to town and I was just driving by and I saw the sign out front and I thought I'd like to know more about your church. For the next 30 minutes, we sat in the front pew of the sanctuary on the right-hand side and I gave her the elongated elevator speech about St. John's UMC. I pointed to the particularly pertinent aspects of our Christian architecture here in the sanctuary. If you notice, it's shaped in the form of a cross, if you could look at it from a bird's eye view. We've got... Wonderful Jesus Christ is the good shepherd in the stained glass window behind me. We've got three Johns to your right and three people from Methodism to your left. I shared with her about the hilarity and the joy of our preschool that meets in the basement. I offered her reflective stories about the intellect of our circle group of youth who are regularly more faithful than their pastor. I talked about our electionary Bible study that meets on Thursdays and how they contribute more to the sermon for Sunday mornings than I ever give them credit for. And then I started to tell her about how we worship, how we let the Lord speak to us through scripture and hymns and prayers and even on rare occasion, a sermon. When she asked about our attendance and our giving, I proudly proclaimed our Sunday average and I told her that we are about to pay our apportionments in full for the third year in a row. When she asked about the kind of people who participate in the life of our church, I told her the truth. That on Sunday mornings, this place is filled with the most beautiful and brilliant that Stanton has to offer. (laughs) For 30 minutes, we discussed the ins and the outs of this church. For 30 minutes, I watched her fall in love with the descriptions I shared. With every anecdote and short story, I could see her seeing herself become a vital part of our worshiping community. Honestly, it was one of the best conversations I've had in a long time. And when it ended, she said that she was eager and excited to join us in worship the following Sunday morning. We shook hands to say goodbye, but before she made it to the door right over there, she turned around and she said, "Uh, Just one more question before I go. What do you think we should do about the gays? What do you think about we should do about the gays. Without hesitation, I said, we should love them. Well then, she said with a sigh, I won't be coming back. Homosexuality is one of, if not the most polarizing issue in the United Methodist Church today. Like all of the controversies we have confronted over the last month and a half, it requires a tremendous amount of vulnerability and patience whenever it is discussed. The controversy regarding homosexuality and the church is made manifest in a number of ways. For many, like the woman I met in the sanctuary, it is the defining question that determines whether someone joins a church or not. I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with someone or with a family interested in joining our church, and that's the last question they ask. And however I answer it will determine whether they really want to join or not. It comes up again and again and again. In fact, during my second week here, three and a half years ago, I received a phone call from the news leader inquiring whether or not I, as the pastor, offer sessions to counsel individuals out of their gayness, which is to say our local newspaper wanted to know if I had the power to turn a homosexual into a heterosexual. But beyond church participation and local media questions, the controversy is one at the heart of what it means to be a Christian today. You might not know this, but the United Methodist Church has a governing document called the Book of Discipline. We re-edit it and publish it every four years. And in it, we receive our organizational structure, the means by which someone can become an ordained clergy person, and a host of other relevant church matters. And in this book, you can find the following sentence. The United Methodist Church does not condone the practice of homosexuality and considers the practice incompatible with Christian teaching. The language in the book of Discipline about the incompatibility of homosexuality has led the church to assert a whole lot of things. For instance... Any bishop, clergy person, or local pastor may be tried, which is to say we could have a church trial when charged with the following offenses, being a self-avowed practicing homosexual or conducting ceremonies which celebrate homosexual unions or performing same-sex wedding ceremonies. So all this to say, according to the United Methodist Church, to be gay is to be incompatible with Christian teaching. You cannot become a clergy person If you are in a gay relationship, and clergy can be punished for marrying a gay couple. When it comes to the Bible, the witness of scripture is explicit regarding homosexuality. In Leviticus, the passage that Alan read for us, God proclaims that anyone engaged in homosexual behavior is an abomination and should be put to death. In Paul's letters, the sin of homosexuality is listed along the likes of envy, murder, deceit, gossip, slander, and faithlessness. It is no wonder, therefore, that the United Methodist Church has taken the stance that it has, and that many a preacher proclaim the incompatibility of homosexuality from the pulpits and the churches they serve. Now, at this point, I could point out But the few texts that do speak about homosexuality in scripture have been overly emphasized again and again, whereas other biblically prohibited behaviors are tolerated. For instance, some of us like shellfish. Some of us have tattoos on our bodies. And some of us have let our hair become unkempt, which should all be punished, according to scripture. Or... I could talk about how our country guarantees the rights of its citizens to not be discriminated against because of their sexuality, and how our country has affirmed the constitutional right of its gay citizens to be married. Or I could mention how many scientists and geneticists believe that one's sexual identity is not a choice and is instead fundamentally wired into who they are because of their genes. Or I could bring up the fact that God rather than condemning the marginalized and calling them incompatible, commands us to go to the fringes of society and be present with and for those people, or I could make mention of the fact that Jesus, remember him, says absolutely nothing about homosexuality in the four Gospels. But you know what? I'm not going to talk about any of that. Instead, I want to talk about repentance. And not the repentance the church thinks someone from the LGBTQ community should confess because of who they are, but the repentance that the church needs for singling out a particular community and denigrating them for decades. You know, 175 years ago, many pastors across the United States preached sermons from their pulpits about how the Bible reveals a divine sanction for something called slavery. There are plenty of verses in the Old and New Testaments that seem to affirm the subjugation of one people by another. And you know what? We were wrong. Sixty years ago, many churches across our country believe that Scripture makes it clear that white churches should remain white. There are scriptures in the Old and the New Testament that can be interpreted to proclaim that society needs to be segregated and that birds of a different feather are not supposed to flock together. And you know what? We were wrong. Fifty years ago, and sadly still today, many Christians throughout the country believe that a literal reading of the Bible makes plain God's design for women to be submissive toward men. There are verses from the Old and New Testament that can be understood to advocate for women to not have the same rights as men. And you know what? We were wrong. And for all of the wrongs we've committed, for all of the sins of our past, we confess and we repent. We look back on the days long gone and we shake our heads about how foolish we once were. We dig up old, dusty sermons and we can't believe that a pastor would be so filled with hatred to single out a particular group of people and label them as property or unworthy or subordinate or even incompatible. And we still see the scars that are very present in our society because of what the church once believed. And for that, we pray for God's forgiveness. And we need to do it again today. For far too long, the church has abused its power to dominate and condemn particular people out of fear and bigotry. Pastors all across our land use pulpits like this one to isolate the LGBT community and tell them that they are incompatible or that they have no worth, or that they have no value. Can you imagine what it would feel like to bravely take a step in faith and attend a Sunday worship service at a church only to hear someone like me tell you that you are incompatible with Christian teaching? Can you picture the pain and the agony that would come if you felt God calling you to ministry and the church said that you're wrong because of who you are? Can you imagine the anger that would percolate deep inside of you if you found someone you wanted to spend the rest of your life with and the church told you it refused to be part of your wedding? If we're honest, our answer is probably no. We can't imagine We can't imagine what it would be like because we sit comfortably in our ivory towers of heteronormativity, assuming that the world would be a better place if people looked like us, thought like us, and acted like us. But the beautiful and wonderful diversity of humanity that's what's part of God's divinely ordered creation. And sadly, it's one that we try to ignore and fix on a regular basis. Months ago, a woman wandered into this sanctuary to ask about the church. But what she really wanted to know was what we should do about the LGBTQ community. In her question, and frankly, in her response, I experienced the fear and the loathing that is fundamentally disconnected with the love and the grace and the mercy of the living God. And I wish I could go back and change my answer. Not because the answer I gave her was wrong, but there's a better one. What do you think we should do about the gaze? As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, we are to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We are supposed to bear with one another and forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven us. And above all, we are called to clothe ourselves with love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Because if we can't agree that the least we can do is love them, then we have no business calling ourselves Christians.